Hello, everyone, to the week that really was as we begin August and we officially enter the dog days of summer where news goes to die and Sarah Ryan goes to the Galway races. How was it, Sarah? It was good. It was uh, it was quieter than other years I've been there. Maybe, I don't know if that's just me or... Well, you'd have been there, of course, in the heyday of the Galway tent and all that stuff, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, I was right in the thick of it, John. Um, <laughs> no, well, yeah, I was in that once, actually. Um, no, it was quieter than other years. I don't know. I usually would have always gone on a Thursday and Friday. So I don't know if, like, Wednesday is normally busy. But it was good crack. It was good crack. I did not win anything. I'm furious. Yeah, you do. Sarah doesn't like losing, which is... <laughs> A good trait to have, and uh, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, well, it was a busy, it was a sort of busier week than usual for August. I mean, we had um, some truly bizarre stories, some some kind of typical stories that you get to in a while. But you said before we started, you wanted to talk about something or somebody called Lizzo. You know who Lizzo is, John. Don't lie. <laughs> you know who Lizzo is. Um, so my, for, my anyone who, for anyone who doesn't, okay. Lizzo is a singer with a lot, a very popular singer, actually. And she has a couple of songs that are, you know, pretty good. But from me personally, you know, who she is and everything like that she talks about in terms of her, you know, political activism, shall we say, annoys me. Um, She's a champion and a cheerleader for uh, diabetes and obesity, uh, clearly, and dressed up under the guise of um, whatever, you know, body confidence. Um, and I'm all for people being body confident, but Lizzo is, you know, and I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm saying it's a, like if people don't know who Lizzo is, you could just look her up. But she is very heavily overweight. Um, she one of these people who talks that. a lot about fat shaming and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So she talks a, a lot about fat shaming. She wears extremely skimpy outfits on the stage. I don't really care about that. Whatever you do, you. But um I do think she's a she's a, a symbol of a problem, which is that, you know, put it this way. If I was to go around talking about how it didn't matter that I was smoking 20 cigarettes a day and it was great. And, uh, you know, the, the like that you were shaming me if you told me that it was bad for my health, I'd be absolutely crucified. And being obese is the same, if not worse for your body. The outcomes for your health are terrible. Um, it affects every single kind of possible element of your physical health um, and probably your mental health as well so this kind of idea that it's no big deal and you should like flaunt your weight or whatever is something that I'm not comfortable with given that I know lots of people who have suffered tremendously with being obese and whatever so uh, you're you're talking to one you're talking to one I mean I, I can bring some perspective to this as somebody who's been chronically overweight not through like one of the things about being fat is that you get these assumptions made about you all the time Oh, he just mm. eats chips all day. Doesn't make an effort. No yeah, like uh, it's not true. Most most people, most of us who are sort of on the on the chunkier side, um, spend most of our lives um trying not to be chunky. Like you know, yeah. you 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 said you, you celebrate the the few pounds off here or there. You're stressed like big events like weddings and things. You're you're really stressed about finding clothes that fit you and looking okay. You spend your whole life hiding. What you are. I'm a relatively confident person and comfortable in my own skin. I'm 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 familiar with that. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, I it's 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 I'm not nearly as fat now as I was at one stage in my middle teens. In particular, I was a bit of a whale. But you 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 get past. You, you, it's 
the idea that it's nothing to be embarrassed about. So on one level, I think that's that's fair enough. I mean, because there are those of us who who make an effort and just like find losing weight really difficult, and there are other people who yeah. who do who, who eat and do all the wrong things and never seem to put on weight. So there's a bit of a genetic thing there. But I think where it gets damaging is this idea that you know just like go be it as big, big as you want to yeah. be. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's on health. And I mean, I, I think, think that like I I think that as the thinking has evolved over, especially it from my casual observation, maybe the last 10 years, that like it used to be very much more viewed as a much more simplistic thing. As you say, you're lazy and you eat too much and that's it. And if you just did this and you just did that, you wouldn't be X, Y, Z. It's not necessarily true. I saw such an interesting interview with Jordan Peterson about a year ago. Maybe it was less. And the person interviewing him was a really clever kind of question, I thought. She said, well, you released 10 reels for life or 12 reels for life X amount of years ago. You've done the tour now. You've written a second book. What were you wrong about? Mm-hmm. And and she said, like, what in hindsight now, when you look back, like, what were you wrong about? And he said, I was wrong about the relationship between obesity and just simply eating. I oversimplified it, and it's emerging now in science that it's much more complicated than that. And you know, like that's something a lot of people really struggle with, and whatever. And so pretending that it's a nothing thing and that it's you know you're just you're just being you and whatever is a disservice to people it's unhealthy and you wouldn't be allowed to get away with it in any other health you know dimension of health out there but Lizzo does and Lizzo is you know a queen and she's proud of it and that's all wonderful for Lizzo and Lizzo is the absolute you know darling of a huge group of you know women and and um like that are the thing she's got and this week, it has emerged that a number, and it's not so. It's not just one; it's three at least, and then another woman that I'll get to in a minute have emerged and talked about bullying, fat shaming, uh, working for Lizzo, uh, how horrific it was. Um, I another thing I find really interesting was they went, they were on tour and they were brought to um some kind of sex show, and Lizzo made them uh, get involved in the sex show in ways that they didn't want to. Um, then oh, there was, was another this... woman who's coming. Is this why I keep hearing about bananas? Yeah, yeah, gross. Oh, oh okay. Um, I'm not even going to get into that. People can Google it because it's so disgusting. But like, if a ma- if a male, like if a man has encouraged, suggested anyone who worked for them to do this, their life would they would be cancelled on the spot. I mean, it's just obscene kind of behaviour. Then there was another woman who came out and said, well, in light of these dancers come out, I'm actually going to come out and say that I was hired to do a documentary on Lizzo. I went on tour with her. I quit after three weeks because the bullying was so appalling. She's a mean, horrible person. She treats the people around her like this, that, the other. Now, Lizzo has come out today and said that uh, she never fat shamed anybody and... Um, that everything else is just sensationalized story and she's not a villain. But saying that it's a sensationalized story and that you're not a villain is not denying it. Do you know what I mean? No, it's so, not. I think it's a really interesting, another like really interesting lesson in the in that like a lot of the a lot of the kind of discourse around like, you know, all of this kind of weight and female roles and whatever, they make these, they make idols and you shouldn't and you know idols that are political as are that are politically aligned with you are just as capable as falling as the supposed right far right idols that you think all the baddies is the side that all the baddies come from do you know what i mean well this so, brings me on that brings me on nicely to one of my former idols poor old rudy giuliani 
because he had the same thing happen to him this week. Uh, I mean, first of all, I think I should say about Rudy Giuliani. He was one of my idols, like when he was, you know, sort of two thousand and one, three, four, five. You know, where he was, he was Amer- America's mayor. I thought he would have made a really good president of the United States. But like, cleaned I, up I, New York. We could do with him here. We could do with old Giuliani. Yeah, I think that version of him, absolutely. But I, I, I often think, you know, if Rudy Giuliani had, and I wouldn't wish death on anyone, but if, if. Tragically, he died in, say, 2005, 2006. There would be streets named after him in America. You'd have Rudolph W. Giuliani Plaza everywhere. And now we kind of remember him as sort of a comic figure. And this week, it took a bit of a dark turn because one of his longstanding assistants has sued him in a New York court for, like, behavior that you wouldn't even call it sexual harassment, what's alleged in this. It was horrendous, horrendous stuff. Um, primarily of a sexual nature, but there's also financial abuse and other things in there. And it just strikes me again. It's another lesson about exactly what you're saying about Lizzo. We we make idols and role models, and these people are just human. Um, and sometimes human in the most awful base ways. Not not human in the oh he spilled you know he puts his cup on the on the counter instead of in the sink. I mean human in, in really awful ways. I mean, that, that that was what grabbed me this week as my sort of, oh my God moment. Um, but, is the, but, is the, but is it that the, you know, the woman who did the documentary on Lizzo, she described like a massive ego and just this kind of monster that's being created. And maybe she didn't start out that way. Is it that they, does the power corrupt, as they say, or, or were they always this way? I, like, I can never understand. Like, I always find it fascinating. Do you remember um, Wiener, um, the guy, uh, the Republican from, was he from New York? He was he a was? Dem- Democrat from New York, Anthony Weiner, yeah. Sorry, he was a Democrat. And remember, he was real family values and all that. And he was married to Huma Abedin. And then it came out that he was, and it's not just, I, ne- I can never understand, like, can you, why do you have to be so weird as well? Like, why, can, why can't it just be sex? Why does it always have to be weird stuff? Why can't you just, why do you have to be a pervert on top of everything else? It's just so odd. And he was all Mr. Family Man or whatever. And then it turns out he's involved in photos and weird stuff and meeting women. And oh, like, I, I, it's like, were they always secretly that way? Or did they get made that way by some kind of weird backlash? Yeah, I, I, I find oh, it, like, I think there's, it's... there's a psychological thesis there, John. I think it's power and fame. I mean, I think I think you know, in 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 all three cases here, uh, Lizzo, Rudy Giuliani, and Anthony Weiner. I mean, to do some amateur pop psychology, we're talking about people who would not be, if they were not famous, would not be considered in any way sexually attractive. Um, yeah. I think I I think, and then you add that kind of level of fame and engagement to it, and all of a sudden, that is, of course, um, apparently some kind of form of aphrodisiac and all of a sudden they have access to opportunities they probably didn't have when they were younger and they go a bit mad um and certainly some of the stuff i you know i, I heard in the background about lizzo and the stuff i read in an affidavit about rudy giuliani and the stuff that happened with anthony Weiner all suggests people who've kind of gotten a taste of something and completely lost control of their ability to control themselves uh, but it's but but it's not it's not like Oh, well, you know, like, give me a politician who has an affair with a secretary any day. It's not just that. It has to be perverse. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're a long way from Charlie. It has Holly to be weird. Keen, yeah. Like, it has to be weird. Like, why does it have to be weird shit? 
excuse me, but like, well, why? I think that goes back to the sort of pornification of the culture, doesn't it? Like, it, maybe it, it 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 does. I mean, like, it's kind of um, what's the way? It, it's kind of no longer cool. By the way, li- li- lis- listener, if you're if you think we're off, just Google Lizzo banana, and you can like you can catch up on this convo. Uh, um, yeah, but it, it's kind of like it's gotten to the point where it's no longer cool just to want to have regular sex. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's uh, there's like there there are whatever number of different categories of interests and fetishes and all these sort of things, and it's almost uh, or what's the what's the word now they use almost in everyday newspapers in the U- in the US kinks, like you know, unless you have five or six of those, you know you you mightn't be you're not anyone you know unless you're like not into leather or I'm not gonna you know there's it it. It's no longer. It's no longer accepted. I, lo- I love the way you think that leather is got to be outer. No, I, I don't. That I was, leather is got to be outer limit somewhere. No, that that's that's very that's very TV PG now for yeah, but, I know, but like I know for the audience. But you know, there's like you know, bananas. No, there's definitely been a nor. There's definitely been a normalization. Like uh, what I found found really interesting is like so I'm forty now, right? And I came of age during the Sex and the City era, for example, and at the time. That was ninety nine percent heterosexual sex, right? With a few weird, you know, things thrown in, and it was very popular, obviously. And I watched it, no joke, predominantly for the clothes, because as you know, I'm a bit of a clothes horse, um, and I loved all the fashion or whatever. And now, in the last year or two or whatever it is, they've released, uh, it's just like that or just like that or whatever the follow-on from Sex and City is with three of them, not all of them. I haven't John, watched it. It's so, so, so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> that it's so bad that I, I'm I'm you sound, shook. You sound I'm like, shook. You sound like, like Donald Trump talking about one of his indictments. So oh my bad. God. It's <laughs> so, so bad, John. Like, it's so bad. It, in, to the point in, where Keith's like to me, why, why... And it, I, I I started watching it. So basically, like the, when the kids are at school or at summer camp at the moment and my daughter has a nap and I usually do laundry or whatever. And there's a TV in our in our kitchen on the wall and I stick something on a kind of background noise. And I like the clothes and the kind of, you know, the New York, like the the yeah, the apartments are the, lovely. The and I kind of like it visually. Yeah, I like looking at it. But it's so bad. Like, it's so... So basically, I don't know if you even remember the characters, but Miranda I is do. now... She's left poor Steve and she's now with a non-binary uh, person who is so I, um, called Che, but formerly Cheryl, I think. So that's her. Charlotte's... One of Charlotte's children is trans. Like, the statistical chance of everyone so Miranda's now but now Miranda's trans relationship has broken down so now she's a lesbian like okay. it, it doesn't make any sense they're in their 50s the whole thing is a complete woke joke and it's so bad that I like Keith comes back and, and I relay bits of it to him and he's like why are you, why are you watching this and I'm like I oh, you know I can't stop because it's so bad it's kind of fascinating <laughs> that the every single every single woke talk point, every single thing you can possibly imagine is in it. On you are being lectured about something every second. 
there's now extra characters. Uh, a friend for uh, a, a beautiful, actually looking woman. Uh, she's a Muslim, or I think she's yeah Indian Muslim woman who's friends with Carrie. Um, a black woman who's friends with Charlotte. Her husband is trying to hail taxis in New York. No one will stop for him because he's black. Like it's constant, constant. <laughs> every single, every single hot woke button is pressed on an on it like as if somebody in there has it attached up to a morphine drip and they're just pressing the button every 30 seconds unbelievable it's fine i watched uh sex in the city when uh, at times when i was younger because it was on so much you 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 would pick up various couldn't avoid it yeah episodes of it um and uh, i never particularly objected to it it seemed to me like kind of sort of blandish soap opera but what you're saying there what you're describing i i I what i find is very interesting is the way like you described the lady who's with the non-binary person and then that relationship breaks up and now she's a lesbian in her 50s. I mean, uh, this is presented on television. Like th- These people are presented as, as role models. But I would suggest that somebody who's in their 50s flitting from relationship to relationship uh, is still at that age trying to discover happiness and contentment. Yeah. You know, and if you, if you ain't done it in 50 years, I'm, I know we're talking about a fictional character, but this is a representation that people are being given. If you ain't discovered happiness and contentment in 50 years, I, I, I suspect you're not going to do it in a lesbian bar um, approaching your 60s. Um, and but, that's this no also, but there's also zero... Sorry, go on. I, I, I just want to say that's no disrespect to people who maybe do discover happiness in a lesbian bar in their 20s. But if you're at that age and you still don't know what you are, uh, you know that's not something to aspire to in, in my book. But maybe I'm a stodgy old white man. But there's also no, like Miranda, the character was married to Steve. They have a child, well, a son who's now probably, I think he's supposed to be kind of 20 or something. But there's just zero kind of suggestion that Miranda waking up one day and deciding that she's now in a relationship with a non-binary and she wants out of her marriage. She wants, there's zero kind of acknowledgement that that might be difficult for the people who've been with her for 20 years. It's all like reinforcing that all that matters is me. All that matters is that I'm happy and Everyone else is secondary to that. And I'm all for being happy. But like, I have three children, right? Like, it's been raining for a month. There were certainly days, John, where I would have been happier to just walk out of the house, go down to Malahide Village and get a coffee on my own and leave the kids to fend for themselves. But I can't. Like, you know, part of life is that you put other people before yourself. And this is just like, well, I woke up one day and I met some a friend of Carrie's who's non-binary and I've just decided I don't want to be married anymore. Nah, no, I think I'll just be with it. Like, Bizarre yeah. and just bizarre. Come here. Do you think this is connected to the fall of religion? Because as you're talking there, I'm, what I'm hearing is kind of like this constant self-actualization. The basic message, um, and I'm not particularly religious at all, but like the basic message of the post-religious society is you've only got one life. And because you've only got one life, you have to put your own happiness and self-actualization first so that you kind of achieve <clears throat> what the the Muslim, the, sorry, the Buddhists would call um, nirvana by the time you've reached your 70s and are ready to die because you've only got one chance at it whereas like the Buddhists would say you've got 50 lives 50,000 lives to try and the Catholics would say even afterlife and you know the Mormons whatever they say but because we live in this society now where where you know there's nothing else there is only the self and there is only your own perception of the world and everyone therefore is the main character in their own stories I think it is up, it's led to a dramatic uptake in selfishness in people that the idea of actually sacrificing yourself 
for others. I, I'm not talking about the majority of people here. The majority of normal people are mums like you, Sarah, or, or dads like Keith, or, you know, they're putting their kids first, they're working every day for others. But I think in a certain segment of society that's culturally dominant um, and represented to us all the time, the message is that that's wrong, that you're kind of a sucker if you don't actualize yourself first. And I think it's connected to, I think it's intrinsically connected to the downfall of religion. I think it's intrinsically connected to the downfall of religion, but not necessarily in the way, like not necessarily because it's your only life. I think it's because, you know, you're like, you're, it's all now about your journey and you're this and you're that. And, and as you say, like everything about you is the most important and you don't see yourself as part of a bigger, you know, kind of picture, if, mm. if, if you know what I mean. And I think that people, like I really noticed in the last few years, Two things. I have noticed an uptick in people that I grew up with going back to religion. Really? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, there's a few people from the inner city that I'm friends with, a good few now. And I've noticed, I saw somebody on Facebook, a Facebook friend that I was stunned. Uh, she was getting baptized a few weeks ago. And I've noticed an uptick in people that I, roughly around my age that I knew years ago. And some of them, women in particular, would have been quite wild and a uh, they're yeah they're like going back to like very much being involved in religion i have a male friend recently we're at a wedding and he was talking about how he started going back to mass so i i definitely think that there's a, a slight uptick but more the point i was going to make was that i think that people without being aware of it themselves are filling their lives with what i would call kind of secular i suppose religion secular religions as in like manifesting spiritual awareness um di like diary uh, journaling like a lot of this stuff is just prayer and worship dressed up in different clothes and they yeah, don't I, even realize it i think for example like a, a, a lot of the climate stuff is and i'm not saying i'm not saying there isn't an issue with the climate but what i would say yeah. is that a lot of the a lot of the climate stuff particularly amongst the very young is transparently religious in its nature when I mean, you've got your you've got your your God figure, which is Mother Earth. You've got your original sin, which is kind of humanity's pollution. You've got your penance, which is, you know, get rid of your plastic bags and move to electric cars. And you've got your your ultimate redemption, um, which is, you know, Mother Earth in harmony with, the, you know, saving the polar bears and all that stuff. There's a religious framework through which that stuff is understood. And there is as well in a lot of progressive causes these days. Um and I, I, I wrote a piece for The Critic that was published uh, yesterday, Thursday, um, which actually today as we were reporting it, about sort of how Ireland, I think, is in the middle of a kind of religious reformation, where we've turned mm -hmm. away from Catholicism and embraced this kind of rainbow religion um, with more zealotry than we ever embraced the old religion. And that was kind of summed up this week when you saw those young young kids. People may not have seen this, but there's a, a video online of some young kind of foreign-born evangelical Catholic kids are doing some street preaching in Dublin, which probably wasn't very wise, but that's what they were doing. And this guy comes up and just attacks them in the middle of the street. Oh, I did see this. Yeah. Um, and it struck me like, you know, that's like, it's like watching lads going in to dissolve the monasteries in the 1500s under Henry VIII. You know, there was a real kind of anti-Catholic zealotry there. You know, the old faith is gone uh, and you, you're offending the new one. Um, so, so yeah, I think there's definitely like religion is at the heart of our kind of culture wars in society between people who kind of adhere to an older um, set of values, whether they, they adhere to the actual religion or not, and people who are actively discarding those values 
primarily because they're associated with the old religion. That's what I think. Yeah, and I, I like, but I think as well, like a lot of people are just without that. They don't realize it, and I, like, and I wouldn't consider myself to be particularly religious either. But I, I think that they don't realize it. But that there's a. I used to work with this guy years ago. God, he must be eighty now, and uh, he'd converted to become a Jew when he was. Um, I think like something like 27, 28. Mm-hmm. He'd been married twice and um, he was divorced twice. And then he met this woman through a job and she was Jewish and he fell madly in love with her. And um, she was like, well, I'm not marrying someone who's not Jewish. And he converted. And um, I remember like having a long conversation with him, um, with him about it. And he's so interesting. And, and he'd been now been married. I mean, he's, he always was really funny about it. He said, oh, I tell people I've been married three times, but one was for one year, one was for two years and one's been for 37 years. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but he said that one of the things I said, so you converted to marry her. And he said, I converted to marry her in a way, but I also had fallen into a really deep depression that had been going on for many years. And I felt very at sea and very lost and, finding God and finding religion was the thing that was the, was the, the rope that I was able to pull myself back to the shore with. And it helped him tremendously. And I think there's a lot of people like if you're so angry and so triggered by some young people praying on the road that you have to physically attack them, that in and of itself is a demonstration that you're a bit lost and you need some help. Like, you know, why it does it, what, ask yourself why it bothers you so much. Mm-hmm. because because you because you you know like i mean we're always hearing about oh this is triggering and that's triggering whatever so why is that triggering you so much i mean if i was walking down the street and i saw somebody praying i wouldn't care like what's it got to do with me yeah but even if it was something that they were doing something that offended you would you care i mean you no. know people like you and me like we live in a society where a lot of the things are going on are things that we don't inherently agree with i mean you go into dublin in june and it's festooned with rainbow flags don't represent me and don't represent you. I mean, you wouldn't think of ripping one down. No, it's, I, don't care. It, I couldn't care less. Exactly. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, it really was Yeah, I mean, bizarre. I don't, like, I, I find that, like, that's part, like, that's it in a nutshell, to be honest. Like, people are constantly trying to be offended. They're always offended by something. I don't get offended by much and I don't get offended easier, easy, easily. And I'm happier for it. Like yeah. what, what other people are doing doesn't really bother me that much. And like, obviously, like we're here in a podcast, we talk about different things. You know what I mean? But like really deep in my core, bothering me, like bothering me in my deep soul so much that I would attack somebody. Never. And it's like, and, and things, I see things that bother me. Like I said earlier on, like I was, my friend is getting married tomorrow and I'm making her wedding cake and I needed some stuff. And there's a shop in town called Sugar Sisters that do cake making stuff and I had to go in and get some bits and I was, so it was half 10 on Monday morning and I was driving up Gardner Street and as I was coming up the street there was a bus kind of slightly at an angle in the road I was like what's going on here or whatever and then obviously the bus driver got into a fight with some men young maybe maybe maximum my age uh, on the bus and thrown them off and so they came around the front of the bus and they were on the outside and they all started throwing bottles at the bus breaking trying to break the windows I, I didn't wait around I just drove around get out of there because I was like next thing they're going to start throwing these bottles at the cars Sorry, that are here uh, that story was I was kind of I was wondering where you're going with it and then then we landed with kids throwing bottles at a bus where, in the middle of the city where, where in the city Gardner Street at half ten on Monday morning like how's your Monday going also not that it would be right but like 
if you saw that on a Friday night at 10 o'clock, you might go, oh, they're all jarred. It's half 10 on in the morning. Like, on, on I know this because I dropped my kids. Isn't exactly, you know, uh, uh, out the back somewhere. It's uh, it's at one of the main thoroughfares in the city. And there were no cops. No. I saw loads of police at the Galway races, to be fair. Loads. But I did not see any police on Gardner. Now, I mean, look, police can't be everywhere. Like, this has broken out, like, all of a sudden on Gardner Street, half ten in the morning, fine. But, like, I find that to be profoundly worrying and, like, you know, whatever. But I don't go home and start kind of freaking out about it. It's like, we, we, you know, we have a limit to how we, we should have a limit to how we, how much we let things affect us. Otherwise, you just live a miserable existence. Yeah, everyone that, offends you. Everyone that, bothers you. You see that, people praying. You want to punch them in the head. Brilliant. That is the thing about society that kind of gets me a lot of the time, which is that the loudest people in society always tend to be the unhappiest people in society. People yeah. on tele, uh, you know, on the radio, telling you that they're offended about stuff. The people who want to ban this, that, and the other. You know, uh, what was it last week? Um, oh, oh, I, there was another thing that was proposed to be banned last week. I think related to cars. Um, and it's just like if you're out there, just, it was just cars in general. Just I, I, I think it might have been. Um, <laughs> like if you're on the, if if you're like out there constantly complaining about being underprivileged and complaining about other people in society and wanting things mm-hmm. banned and wanting to change the way other people's live, my fundamental diagnosis of you is you're not very happy in and of yourself. Because if you can't just ignore that stuff, Jesus, you know, you. Um, you need to figure out um, what's going on with you, I think. Yeah, and maybe there's a whole intertwining there with like people who are lost. They find false gods with singers or they find false kind of like unachievable goals that the world will only be better if all cars are banned and the world will own. And these things aren't going to happen. So what you're signing up for is misery. Like you're not saying like, you know, and that's kind of like one of the things I liked about Jordan Peterson when he first wrote that book. It was like one of his principles, 12 principles was like, you know, get up and make your bed. Like you're really not qualified to talk about how everyone else should do this, that and the other. If you're not even able to get up early and make your own bed. Like he famously said, he used to have all these protests at all of his, you know, when he'd speak at at lectures or at colleges or whatever. And when he changed the time of his talks to 9 a.m., the protests were gone. (laughs) because <laughs> these people couldn't be arsed getting out of bed so like you know if you're signing up to be absolutely furious about cars well it's going to be a long life you know what yeah. I mean like join your local residence association and get some ramps in your estate if that like start small but like you know throwing paint at a, at a priceless piece of art and chain it, pouring out the milk in Harrods and crying for the rest of your life because there's so many cars I don't think your life's work is going to be achieved, I'm afraid. No, it's not. Um, shortly before we came on air, to change the subject briefly, because I think I think, I think think we've talked about a lot there, and I think there's, you know, coming from Lizzo and Bananas at the start, um, there's <laughs> just it's a good summation of where the culture is at. In terms of where the political culture is at, though, as, uh, as we're chatting in the last hour or so, the news has broken from Limerick that Limerick Prison has finally summoned up the courage to move... Gabriel Alejandro Gentile, better known um, by his new chosen name, Barbie Kardashian, from the women's prison to the men's uh, on grounds of safety for the prison officers and the females. And in fact, they consider him so much of a threat to the male prison population as well that he's going to remain in um, basically solitary 
only allowed out of his cell when all the other prisoners are locked up for the safety of the other prisoners. Um, and this person until yesterday was locked up with the women. Uh, isn't that just insane? That it's taken... Well, I'm glad that got sorted. It used it, it happened at the usual Irish glacial pace. Yeah, like... I was just we we reported this story. Gripped was the first um sort of media outlet to break that story, and we broke it in 2020. It's now 2023, but for three years, this has been going on. Um, this person's been in a in a women's prison, and eventually, but kept separate all the time, right? Kept separate all the time, but bear in mind that the prison officers in the female prison are female. Yeah. They're not male. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he was in the And care. they're obliged to do search. Yeah, yeah. Well, they may be obliged. We, we can't say. They're not obliged to go in search. Well, they're obliged to do... But... No, but they're obliged to do searches when he enters. Yes. Um, so who did that? A fair question. A, wo- a, woman, ha- a woman had to do that. No, but mm-hmm. like, it, it's, a, it's a really... You well, know... he's, he's legally a woman. So yes, a woman had to do that. If a search had to be conducted... Yeah. There is no provision in law for a man to perform an infant no. search on a woman. Rightly. And maybe that woman didn't want to do that for loads of reasons, you know. But uh, three years later, you know. It's extraordinary. I mean, at least they've seen at least they've seen sense eventually, but like still, you know. Well. Yeah, well, there is a little bit of sense. I think I think on that issue at least, that is one where a little bit of sense is is sort of coming back into public life. Because I think for definitely for the last couple of years, this has just been this ram, this this kind of attitude in the political classes, and not just in Ireland, but like in most of the English-speaking world, outside of maybe America, where um, if a particular kind of wing of people in society wants something, they get it, no questions asked, because that's the progressive thing to do. And if they say it's progressive and, and on the right side of history, it must be done. And I think this is the first time in, in probably in 15 or 20 years that I can remember any any arm of the Irish state taking a kind of backward step on something like this. Now, it is not, it's not exactly a U-turn. It's not revolutionary. It's a very small thing not to put up somebody who is pledged to kill and harm women in a women's prison. But it's not nothing either. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, so that is good. Um, what else caught your eye this week? It's caught my eye this week. I thought... There was a lot of sadness, like there was funerals of those poor girls who died in Monaghan. There was a lot, like it's been a very kind of sad that one, week. That one, do you know, that one really affected me. And, and normally these yeah. stories don't. I mean, part partly it's because, uh, as, as regular listeners may know, I was born and raised in Monaghan. Now, not in Clonus, where these people are from. But also because, you know, I was looking on Facebook and I, I felt bad about doing it, but I'm, I'm kind of half a journalist, so I have an excuse, but what happened, you know, I was looking them up on Facebook and I was looking at particularly at um, one of the girl's dads and, and just a, a huge and clearly very loving family. Like, just yeah. just like a very close and I think there's 10 kids in the family um, and to to lose one of them like that on, on what is supposed to be one of the happiest nights of your young life. Uh, I think most of us probably look back at our dead and cringe a bit, but, or many of us do. Um, but at the time, it's certainly one of the happiest nights of your young life. But that's how it's just unfathomable. Um, I know, but, and there's yeah. been and after the boys who went to EOS in Greece, like there's just been a lot of tragedy this summer. It's real, you know, young people like dying in those kind of accidents over the summer. It's just so. Yeah, and then add in the weather, and it's been a relatively depressing time. Um, for oh, yeah. Or just yeah. for a lot of people, I think. Um, I, I was... saw um, John James Brown as well from Fianna Fáil came out and said that um, 
But my right, James Ryan had said that the you know the government would have to do much better communication about the hate speech bill going going forward. And I thought, well, like so they're still going to try and make that a thing. Well, on so, that, what did you think of Ogrefina Fall calling on Helen McEntee to resign? I mean, yeah, I read their statement and I thought, yeah, I mean, look, <clears throat> youth wings of the parties should always kick, you know, kick out in that way. I like to see it. It's good for it's good for politics. Um, I thought it was a bit, I, I thought it was kind of late. Like, I think they were a bit slow. I mean, obviously they had their conference or something, I presume. Um, yeah, I mean, they're showing a bit more like... I don't know. Do you think testicular you, you, fortitude than the main party? But like, you, but but, but this this is what I'm interested in though about about that very question because you're you're more of the resident Fianna Fáil expert than me. But it would always have struck me because I was a member of Ogre briefly in my teens for my shame, but I was, and it would also struck me that it's fairly tightly controlled by the main party, in that you know they don't want obviously they don't want the youth wing to embarrass them. So there's a, a perfectly understandable. Also, they're young, so there's a degree of oversight there. Do you think there's a degree to which, um, you know, there are people in the t- higher levels of Fianna Fáil, we'll say, who'd be quite content to have um, Ogre Fianna Fáil say this sort of stuff and not necessarily be intervening to stop them? Or perhaps maybe giving them a pat on the back and saying, you know, well said, we can't say that. Yeah, I think so. And I think, like, I don't think there's, a, like... I think that traditionally, certainly in Fianna Fáil, that's all I would know, that traditionally the party like headquarters and the party leadership would give a lot of leeway to the youth wing of a party to talk and say and exercise their opinions on whatever they wanted, provided it wasn't completely off the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's their right. That's the way a proper like a party should work. And I think that like for me looking at that, I think it's good that like it shows us a bit of lifeblood still in the party. You know, there's days where you think there isn't. So at least the youth wing has a bit of, you know, lifeblood in it. They're coming up with ideas and and whatever, and that's fine. I think it's more showing a stark contrast to what's happening at the upper levels of the party, which is very little. Yeah. You know, there doesn't seem to be enough kind of criticism or 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 you know comment on Alan McEntee. And look, some of that is a symptom of the, just the type of coalition that it is. That's fine. I saw an article during the week. Was it a tweet? Anyway, somebody was talking about how it's almost inevitable that the next government will just be Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil at all again. And that might be true and that it's not a given that Sinn Féin will get in. And of course that's true. Nothing is a given. But I think it's so bad for politics and for the parties individually for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it because what we're seeing here is just this kind of lazy, slow kind of, yeah. Like it's very difficult if you have a coalition to skillfully criticise your coalition partner, causing enough stress, but not too much stress on the arrangements that you have. Do you mm. know what I mean? It is hard to do. And there, there's there been politicians in the past who are very skillful at that kind of uh, communication and very skillful at that kind of, you know, dance that they would do with the media and the other party, criticising, but not too much, blah, blah, blah. Well, we don't have that now. So I think that people just stay quiet don't rock the boat but what happens is that we suffer because there's not enough stress put on certain situations like in this case law and order for any meaningful change to actually be, be executed although i i do think i do think for the record i i was skeptical a couple of months ago but i think the hate speech bill is now dead 
Not because we'll, we of, will see. Not because of Ogrefina Falls specifically, but just because I mean, the second youth wing, Young Finnegale also came out and said they didn't want it in any way, shape, or form. Um, the all the momentum since it was suspended has been against it. Um, oh. there's been no announced amendments. Even announced amendments will 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 be an admission that the first version was flawed. Um, and 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 you've also had this massive uptick recently in concern, rightly, and at long last, about law and order, particularly on the streets of Dublin. And you've been talking on this show about something you saw on Gardiner Street. So that, that is well warranted. I just don't think Helen McEntee has the capital to yeah. push this through anymore. Yeah. And I don't think there's appetite in the rest of government, particularly to push it through either. I'm sure now we'll do the dance of it going away and being under consideration and, you know, yeah, yeah, of course. these things that will. Do you remember like the, the, a couple of years ago when the assisted dying bill came in, uh, I think people for profit um, and there was a big hullabaloo about how the doll had passed it and hasn't been seen since because it was sent to die in committee. They won't do that. Pardon, with, with pardon the pun, John. Yeah, yeah. Sent for, I should say, it's just sent sent for a dignified death in committee. Yeah, yeah. But um, they, they obviously can't send this one to committee because of the stage it was at. But yeah, I think I, I would be very surprised if we see it back. Um, which is I don't know about that. Yeah. I don't know about that. I think there'll be massive pressure from NGOs and stuff. So we'll see. We will indeed. But anyway, I think we'll leave it there because it was an interesting chat this week. Sarah, thanks for joining us. I want to say thanks for joining us. You're one of us. Thanks for joining me, <laughs> as ever. Um, to all of you heading away for the bank holiday weekend in August, as both of us are, um, enjoy your trip. Hope the weather is better wherever you're going, whether it be on this island or somewhere else. And to the rest of you, I will see you. I think I don't not sure if Sarah will, but I will definitely see you this time next week. So until until then, from both of us, that was the week that really was. <laughs>